0: Please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy as we come to the final two verses of this letter. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 20. Paul writes, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's pray together. Father, we come now to Your Holy Word and we ask that You would illumine our minds and give us understanding that as we understand, Lord, we might grasp Christ and that we might grow. Lord, we pray that you would sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. And bless us now we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. There's one more thing that Paul says to Timothy. There's one more thing. Before the first before the letter of 1 Timothy was folded and put aside, there was one more thing that Paul wanted to get across to Timothy. Now, if you are here with us last Thursday, you know that we've heard this before. Because you see, 1 Timothy really comes to an end following chapter 6, verse 16. After exhorting young Timothy to flee these things, things such as the love of money, things that were capable of plunging him into ruin, Paul, it appeared, had brought his pastoral charge to his disciple to a close. His closing words were indicated by the benediction. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. But after Paul had finished, he went back through the letter and he realized that he needed to give a little bit more clarification. Clarification to those in the congregation who were wealthy. How were they to live? How were they to steward their finances? And so in chapter 6, verse 17, Paul said, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be proud or haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. And so those wealthy Christians were to live and spend their money in such a way that demonstrated where they had placed their investments. In heaven and not on earth. Notice what Paul said to them in verse 19, chapter 6. Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. There is a life in which we as Christians take hold of that consists not in the things that are seen, but in the things that are unseen. There's no doubt here that when Paul gave these words that the rich young ruler was on his mind. That when Jesus said to him, you will have treasure in heaven, come, follow me. That when the young man heard this, he he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And it was such a tragedy to walk away from the author of life himself. Well, notice now that the letter is still not finished. Well, what is happening here? Is Paul trying to start 2 Timothy even before he has finished 1 Timothy? Well, here's what may be taking place here. That what we have in chapter 6, verses 20 through 21 is not just a postscript, but a post-postscript. And you might be thinking, could that even be such a thing? Well, yeah. In many of Paul's letters, he himself did not write his letters with a pen in his hand. But rather, he dictated his letters to a secretary. He, he dictated his correspondence to a scribe. For example, we read in Romans chapter 16, verse 22, that it wasn't Paul who wrote the letter, literally wrote the letter, but it was Tertius. It says there in chapter 16, verse 22 in Romans, it says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. The same goes for 1 Corinthians. And we know that because in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 21, Paul takes the pen from his secretary and then he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, Let him be accursed. And so Paul, he's dictating the letter in 1 Corinthians. And finally, he takes the pen in his hand and he says, I, Paul, I am now writing this greeting with my own hand. They were words in which Paul wanted to personally write with his own hand. Well, I believe that we have something similar taking place here at the end of 1 Timothy. In that throughout the letter, Paul has been dictating his words to a secretary, a scribe, to write down his spirit-inspired words. And he had thought that he had finished the letter until he realized that he needed some words of clarification for the rich congregants of the church in which he added. But now in verse 20, he takes the pen with his own hand. He takes the pen with his own hand because What he is about to say is deeply personal. And so notice in verse 20, it begins like this. Oh, Timothy. Not like chapter 6, verse 11, where he says, oh, man of God. But rather, he says in verse 20, oh, Timothy. Here is Paul's deeply personal, heartfelt appeal to Timothy, his trusted partner in the ministry his son in the faith. And he wants to answer three questions here in these last two verses. And the first question is this. What did Paul want to tell Timothy with the strokes of his own hand? What was so important? And he says this, verse 20, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you You see, Timothy had something in possession more valuable than earthly riches, more costly than silver or gold. And it's not just that Timothy was in mere possession of this deposit, but that this deposit was entrusted to him. Paul, notice, is using the language of business and finance. And you need to know that in the the ancient world, there were no safe deposit boxes. He didn't go to the bank and you had a special key. No, when a man went on a long journey away from his home, he left his most valued possessions with someone he could trust. And the valuables were deposited. It, It was up to that trusted person to keep them safe. So what was it that Paul had entrusted to Timothy? What valued possession did Paul pass on to his faithful friend and the answer is this the apostolic doctrines of the christian faith or to say it another way the gospel by which the both of them had been saved now leave your finger right here and turn with me to first timothy chapter 1 verse 11 first timothy chapter 1 verse 11 because at the outset of the letter paul tells timothy of the great responsibility to which He has been given in accordance with the glorious Gospel of the blessed God with which I have been, and he says these words, in which I have been entrusted. And in the beginning of the letter, Paul tells Timothy, remember, you have to stay here, Timothy. You have to remain here in Ephesus as I have gone out to Macedonia. Now why? Why do you have to stay here? in order to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Those were Paul's orders to Timothy in chapter 1. Charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine because, he says, I have been entrusted with the sound doctrine. And so, Timothy, you've you got to tell people who are teaching false doctrine not to teach any different doctrine. This is the gospel in which I have been entrusted. This is the Gospel which has been handed down to me for safekeeping, to be protected, to be placed in my care. Now having come to the end of the letter in chapter 6, Paul says to Timothy in those last and final words, just as I have been entrusted with the Gospel, O Timothy, guard the deposit which has now been entrusted to you. We're not going to go through 2 Timothy. Maybe I'll do that in six years when I make my return back to midweek. But this is something that Paul says to Timothy throughout both of his letters. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. It was so important to Paul that Timothy, know this and heed this command. If there's anything that you need to know, Timothy, here it is. If you've been distracted while reading my letter, if you've been uh, falling asleep while reading my letter, just don't forget this. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Those are Paul's final words. And I think at the end of the day, this was Paul's daily prayer, I believe, for himself and for Timothy, that they would guard the good deposit entrusted to them. As Paul wrote to Timothy, he was saying, Timothy, you you are a trustee of the Gospel. Like every minister of the Gospel, he had received the message of salvation in, in Christ as a sacred trust. Now, what did it mean to guard The deposit. What did it mean? Well, according to ancient legal doctrine, a trustee was obligated to preserve a deposit, now hear this, unharmed and unchanged. And so what was Timothy to do? To keep the doctrines of the faith unharmed and unchanged. This means that a minister of the Gospel is not free to make up his theology or invent new theology or update theology as he goes along. On the contrary, he must proclaim the very same message in which he has received. His task is not to innovate, but to preserve. The orthodox doctrines of the faith are not to be reinvented or re-envisioned, or reinterpreted, but rather cherished and guarded and defended. Gospel doctrine is not something for which we are entitled to add nor to update, but it is a divine revelation which has been committed to our care. Listen to an answer from the early church around the 5th century. When asked what is meant by the deposit, here's the answer from St. Leo. He said, That which is committed to thee, not that which is invented by thee, that which thou hast received, not that which thou hast devised, a thing not of wit, but of learning, not of private assumption, but of public tradition, a thing brought to thee, not brought forth of thee, wherein thou must not be an author, but a keeper, not a leader, but a follower, you see, church, what you need to demand from the pulpit any time a man steps behind the box is this. Are they his words or are they God's words? That's what you have to ask yourself. You know, John Calvin, as I said before weeks ago, he preached through First Timothy. And he said when preaching through First Timothy, he said, When we come to church, let this be our resolve. I have not come here to listen to empty sounds or to go back home having seen a comic turn or heard some tuneful song. God's truth is not meant to gratify my physical wants. What is it meant to do? And Calvin said this, to feed our souls. To feed our souls. And you see, the only food by which we can grow is not upon the words of men, but upon the word of God. Now this deposit hasn't just been entrusted to preachers or pastors or elders, but to all Christians. And the protection of it doesn't just take place in the pulpit, but it also takes place in the pews. Because you see, it is our corporate responsibility to guard the gospel deposit entrusted to us. Not just the pastors and the elders of the church, but every member. We have a doctrinal statement that we collectively hold to and agree upon. Now I think it is critical for the church to know what they believe and why they believe to be equipped in the word of God, to know sound doctrine. This is one of the reasons why at the turn of the year we're going to start teaching uh, those Theology classes, I think the first one we're going to teach is hermeneutics. And I I say all this because you need to be wary of churches in which only the pastor seems to know everything. That's not healthy. Nor is it safe. You have to be careful of churches in which only the pastor seems to know everything. You see, harmful doctrine in the church always appears to be orthodox. Unsound doctrine is never trumpeted before the people as being unsound. Hey, everyone, let me teach you some false teaching right now. Take notes. No, it's never like that. Most of the time, there is just a slight deviation. And that deviation is in the nuance. It's in the practice. It's in the subtleties. It's in the emphasis. And you see, as a church, you have to be keenly aware of these deviations. And I'm afraid that in some churches, congregants, they are ruined because of their ignorance. That many of them don't even know that such a responsibility has been given to them. Think about the Bereans in Acts 17 who eagerly listened to Paul preach yet they searched the scriptures daily to see if his preaching was true. Can you imagine that? Here comes the apostle to preach God's word and the Bereans as Paul preached the apostle they go back they go back home to make sure that what Paul was preaching was in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, beloved, our our doctrine is most susceptible to being compromised not when we have our Bibles open and when we come to church, but really when we have our Bibles closed and when we're at home. Believe it or not, we hear preaching every single day. We are continuously taught doctrine on a daily basis. It comes to us through our phones and our news feeds and our social commentaries that we follow and all those that we think are significant enough to follow through our social media. We hear doctrine at our workplaces and our homes and other social settings. We hear preaching every day of the week. We are sold doctrine All the time we are taught to believe both directly and indirectly as to our anthropology, what we believe about man, that mankind is inherently good, that man is the measure of all things. And then we see that the world devalues the worth of man to simply sells and not as an image bearer of God, which is why an inconvenience will lead to the slaughter of countless lives made in the image of God. The world tries to preach to us on soteriology, what we believe about salvation. That salvation can be attained in a number of different ways. There's no absolute truth, but rather there's a plurality of truths. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, agnosticism, atheism, Much more isms. One truth is as good as another truth. All roads lead to happiness. We also hear the doctrine of eschatology from the world. What we believe about the future. And we just heard the correction from Paul in chapter 6. He says, don't set your hope, your future on the uncertainty of riches. But set your hope on God. For some, their eschatology revolves around their earthly security, as there is in their belief system no eternity. And so you see, we are inundated with preaching and doctrine all the time, both directly and indirectly. And so guarding the deposit entrusted to us really means to guard our hearts from the doctrinal influences of this world. To safeguard our hearts. To protect our minds. Well, here's the second question that needs to be answered. How, how, according to Paul, are we to guard that deposit? Look with me in verse 20 here in chapter 6. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you And look what he says next. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. That guarding the deposit entrusted to us means avoiding that which runs contrary to the doctrines of our faith. You see, in the context of the letter, Paul's personal words to Timothy, they were very urgent because There were so many false teachers there at the church in Ephesus, and they were all in opposition to Timothy. And so you'll notice throughout the entire letter, Paul has frequently reminded Timothy of the danger of vain discussion in chapter 1, verse 6, of silly myths in chapter 4, verse 7. And now he tells him yet again to avoid this irreverent babble and what is falsely called knowledge. Ephesus was the hub of Worldly thinking and ideology. And all these different belief systems and all these different world views were making their way into the church. And the congregants of the church there in Ephesus, they found themselves captivated by all these false teachers. It was a higher and deeper understanding of the Gospel. That's what I want. I want a deeper understanding. It was true and special knowledge It was from teachers who may have been more degreed than Paul and Timothy. But it was all antithetical to the Gospel. What I gather from Paul's words to Timothy here is this. That for us, we cannot get away from Gospel doctrine. We cannot get away from Gospel doctrine. You know, there was a time in my former church years ago, I remember being in a meeting with elders and pastors and one of the elders said, he was very confused as to why it was so necessary to preach the Gospel to Christians. He said, why do we have to keep preaching the Gospel to Christians? And you can just see the error in his thinking. That the Gospel is just merely something in which he needed to be saved in a moment in time, but nothing else, nothing more. He had a wrong view of himself. He didn't think that he needed to be continuously be turning to Jesus in faith. You see, it's not that once I'm saved, I can now live some kind of self-empowered life. But for us as Christians, we know that the life, death, resurrection of Christ continues to save me and hold me and sustain me. That once I become a Christian, it's not that my works now become meritorious on my behalf. No, my self-righteousness is still of no avail. But I need to continue to depend upon the righteousness of Christ. Martin Luther was once quoted when a member of his congregation came in and very similar, came in and said, Pastor, why is it week after week that you preach to us the gospel? We've read your books. We know you to be a brilliant man. Why do we never move on? When do we get past this onto something else? And Luther said this, because week after week, we forget it. And he said, you will never be without your need for the gospel. And Luther said, so I will never cease to preach it to you. Now I want you to notice what Paul says to Timothy in verse 21 here. For by professing it, talking about the false knowledge and the irreverent babble, some have swerved from the faith. False teaching doesn't usually cause people in the church to outright abandon the faith that's Not what usually happens. Few people ever do. Rather, rather, they drift away from it. You see that? They swerve from the faith. When the message of the world starts taking root in the heart, the departure from the faith, it takes place in slow stages. And I've seen that. I see it very many times in all my years as a Christian with either my friends or people at church. It begins with disgruntlement. It begins with discontentment. Not on theological issues, but on personal issues. And the reason is almost always vocalized as a problem that he or she has with the church. And so they leave the church to another church where they know that they won't be held to the same standards of accountability like the church they were in before. That's how it usually happens. And then the drift really begins to take place in stages. Little by little, slowly. Where that person is now free to live however way he or she wants, without consequence. You see, people in the church hardly ever recant or renounce their faith, but they gradually depart from it. It's almost unnoticeable. It's almost undetectable. The deviation is but a few degrees at its starting point, but as time goes on, drifts further and further and further apart from the deposit which was entrusted to them. Brothers and sisters, we need to be watchful over our souls. To be faithful over that which has been entrusted to us. And I think the searching question that we have to ask ourselves as we bring First Timothy to a close is where in our lives is there the potential for Deviation. Where do I feel the pressure of that deviation? Where do I feel that pressure to compromise? It happens in so many different ways. It happens to single people who really want to get married. But they're willing to compromise and start dating a non-believer because they feel like it will make them happy and fulfilled. It happens in a lot of different ways. Church, it also happens when we are unaware of the doctrine or the preaching that we are receiving. Not necessarily at church. But when we're at home, when we're on our computers, or when we're on our phones, or when we're with our coworkers, or whatever. Notice lastly, the third question is this Well, how will we be able to defend the faith, to hold firm in the faith, to guard the deposit which has been entrusted to us? How will we be able to do that? Well, notice that Timothy, he had vowed that he himself would never wander from the sound doctrines of the faith. That he would guard what the Apostle had entrusted to his care. And Timothy, he did. Timothy was faithful to the task. Tradition, again, tradition tells us that in 97 AD that Timothy, while pastoring the church in Ephesus, that he saw that there was a procession taking place there in the streets of Ephesus in honor of the goddess Diana. And he went to go stop it. But he went to go stop it with the only armor that he knew. With the Gospel in which he had been entrusted. And so he declared before the people of Ephesus there while they're doing this ceremony for the goddess of, uh, goddess of Diana, the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. And the people of the city in anger, ended up beating him. And they dragged him through the streets and they left Timothy there to die. Well, how was he able to guard the deposit to champion the Gospel and to defend the Gospel and to live the Gospel? How was he able to do this? As Paul wrote to Timothy, how did Paul know What was the only way in which Timothy was going to be able to be faithful to his command? Notice the last four words of the letter. Paul simply says, Grace be with you. He says, Grace be with you. This is how you'll be able to remain faithful to the task by grace. By grace alone. Paul here is telling Timothy, Timothy, you need the grace. You will always need the grace. And you will only need the grace. There's only one thing, Timothy, that you can rely on. And that is grace. And God will give you the grace, Timothy. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian here this evening, you need, you need this grace. Paul, in writing to Titus, a few letters over, Paul personifies grace as Christ. And he says this in Titus. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Paul was saying, for Christ has appeared. In other words, you need Christ, non-Christian, who gives salvation for all people. For which he has purchased by his sinless life on earth, his death on a cross, and his resurrection to life. You need a Savior, and God has provided him in Jesus Christ to deliver you from your sins, to rescue you from the wrath of God, And so receive the grace. Place your trust in Christ. As we close, what is interesting about Paul's words here, grace be with you in verse 21, is that it doesn't match who he addresses in verse 20, which is very odd. Uh, Grammatically, it's not correct. Because you see, he took the pen from the scribe's hands, and he wrote, Oh, Timothy. Right? And so he's addressing this whole time here in verse 20 and 21. He is addressing Timothy. One person. But when he gets to verse 21, he says, Grace be with you. But he doesn't say to Timothy, Grace be with you, because that you there is not a singular you, but it's a plural you. In other words, Paul says, Grace be with you all. He wasn't just telling Timothy that he needs this grace. But he was telling all of us, Christian believers, the church there, that we all need this grace. That if we are going to remain faithful and true to the deposit which has been entrusted to us, We need this grace. If any of this is going to be possible, we need God's grace. We need God's grace and none other than Jesus Christ. And so church, may we then live in that way. Dependent upon that grace. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for this epistle. We thank you for this letter that teaches us, Lord, about what you require from the church. This letter that teaches us the very importance of gospel doctrine. This letter that teaches us to avoid The doctrines of this world, this letter that teaches us of the salvation that is only found in Jesus Christ. And as we now bring this letter to a close, this letter that teaches us the necessity of grace in our lives. And we pray that we would so depend upon your grace that our lives would be so evident that we trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. We pray that You would cause us to grow and as we continue to feed upon, Lord, the sound teaching of Your Word, we pray that, Lord, we would be mature in Christ. That, Lord, You would sanctify and refine us make us more into the image of our Savior. We pray that, Lord, You would grow us. We pray that You would cause in us a deeper and greater affection for Christ. Again, we thank You for 1 Timothy. Lord, we pray that this Word would continue to do a spirit work in our lives. Again, we thank You and we pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen.